Hey guys, welcome to the Hunter's Quest podcast. This is your host, Hunter McWaters, and I'm doing something a little different right now. So I just got back from Alaska, and I have a full recap episode coming up. It was an amazing trip. We killed two bulls. We spent like seven full days back in the backcountry, and then we did a 70 river mile float out. Um, with all our meat and gear to get back to the boat launch and it was just an epic adventure everything went amazing we got some sweet content from that looking forward to sharing with you guys but um, in the meantime I'm gonna do something here I'm gonna run the audio only versions of a couple of TV episodes that I produced for season one of the Hunter's Quest TV show on the Sportsman channel Now, if you have Sportsman Channel, you can check out the show Mondays at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time or Saturdays at noon Eastern, uh, which is 10 a.m. Mountain. Um, But if not, I figured either way, these are some really cool interviews I did with some big names in the industry, and it would be worth sharing in the audio-only version. So if you have a Sportsman Channel, go ahead and check out the show. It's an amazing show. Um, And then I'm just looking for all the creative ways I can get all this content out to as many people as possible. And one of those is releasing the audio versions from these conversations. So it's going to be a 20-minute, pretty quick conversation. I got one with Remy Warren, Jana Waller, Jason Matzinger, and Brian Call. And they're all kind of topic-specific, but we're sort of also watching hunt films that they have done and breaking them down and kind of I'm asking questions about them and it's it's kind of designed to give you guys information to pull off DIY hunts kind of hearing from the experts so um, this week I'm gonna run the episode with Remy Warren and we're talking specifically about caribou hunting and I figured it's just kind of a good time of year to do it Um, you know we are coming kind of towards the end of caribou season but might be some of you guys still heading out there, and I'm sort of just in a caribou mood. So I'm going to release this one first, and then in the next coming weeks, be on the lookout for a, for a cooler, excuse me, for a cool episode with Jana Waller, and then I'll talk mule deer with Jason Matzinger, and then towards the end of the year, getting into spring, I had a really good conversation with Brian Call about DIY spring bear hunting. So. Anyway, be on the lookout for these episodes. I'm still going to be releasing my normal Sunday morning podcast, but I want to get some extra content out to you guys. So I hope you enjoy. And, um, you know, please go over and subscribe to my YouTube channel. That's a huge thing. I'm really trying to grow that audience. So please go and subscribe. It means a ton to me. Also, if you haven't yet, please me, please leave me a written rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Follow me on social media. Um, and let's just jump into this conversation about caribou hunting with Remy Warren. Enjoy. When I found Western hunting, it changed the course of my entire life. It pushed me, mind, body, and spirit to become a better hunter and ultimately a better human. This is my quest. This is your quest. This is the hunter's quest. 
Welcome to the Hunter's Quest. This is Hunter McWaters, your host, and I'm here today with my guest, Remy Warren. How you doing, man? Pretty good. How's it going? Good, man. Thanks for taking the time to join me today. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, dude. So if you guys don't know Remy, um, you definitely should check out his stuff on YouTube and Amazon Prime. Remy started out as a guide, an outdoor writer, photographer, videographer. He um, is also one of the hosts of Solo Hunter along with Tim Burnett. And he's been a repeat guest on Meat Eater. Uh, he's also been on Joe Rogan's podcast. And um, last but not least, he is my guest on the 100th episode of the Hunter's Quest podcast, which you guys can go check out if you want to hear a little bit more detail about Remy and kind of his backstory and that kind of stuff and just a longer conversation. Go check out that episode 100 of the podcast. But yeah, just to kind of get things rolling here, man. I mean, you've done a lot in, uh, in your career so far. Um, is there a certain accomplishment, whether that be like in your career or even just in life that you're kind of like most proud of to this point? Pretty much every time I pull off a successful solo filmed bow hunt, uh, that's pretty, yeah. pretty hard to do. Um, yeah. And then this past year, I got to do those with shooting a mouth tab. So I was running the camera one handed, shooting one handed. Uh, yeah. I, I think that like if you're looking at the hardest thing to do, that's probably it. Yeah, you have a, a habit of doing things that are very difficult to do. So I think you kind of like the challenge, it seems like. But um, if you guys don't know what he's referring to, uh, Remy got a hand injury, I guess was that last year or two years ago? Uh, you know, a lot of guys might have just uh, taken the season off or, you know, decided they weren't going to bow hunt. But Remy said, no, nah, I'm going to go for it. And so he actually taught himself how to shoot with a mouth tab. Yeah, I was fortunate that I had, I've got a friend that had, um, he shoots with a mouth tab all the time because he's got a permanent injury to his, his hand. Mm. And so he, he showed me the ropes a little bit and uh, he got me all set up and then kind of just took it from there. Super cool accomplishment to be able to pull that off. So um, the series that we're going to kind of like watch and talk through a little bit is um, this caribou hunt you guys did in Greenland. I guess that would have been um, August of 2022, correct? Yeah, exactly. It was, uh, last year and cool. yeah, I think it was, uh, I, I guess it was August. It was the beginning of September, end of August. Okay. So yeah, you've, you've, um, you've hunted caribou quite a bit, no? Yeah, I've hunted caribou quite a bit, mostly in Alaska. So a couple of years, well, it was probably five years ago. Somebody that I know was like, dude, if you want to hunt caribou, do it now. Um, mm. because it, the opportunities are going to be severely limited. Uh, I'm glad I took his advice because uh, I just kind of like got on this caribou kick about, I don't know, maybe eight, nine years ago. And yeah, um, yeah and I've had uh, a lot of awesome hunts for him since. So. Yeah, for sure, man. Again, kind of going back to why I wanted to talk about caribou hunting. It's kind of one of those hunts that is sort of a bucket list hunt for a lot of guys or like a dream kind of species for a lot of guys but at the same time there are still some kind of you know over the counter even some DIY stuff um, you know if you're willing to put in some work and do a little research so while it is you know kind of a bucket list species it also is attainable yeah there's still there's still a few opportunities out there where you know you can pick up a tag get a harvest ticket and and hunt caribou which is pretty cool yeah. My first like backcountry trip ever, I think I was telling you this the other day, um, was an Alaska DIY, you know, walk-in caribou hunt. That trip just changed my life and um, kind of set me on this path that I'm on now. Why did you guys decide as a group you wanted to do Greenland instead of Alaska or Canada? 
Well, I actually had a trip planned uh, last year for Caribou in Alaska, and this the season got sh- shut down. So uh, oh. it was like, and it's going to be shut down for who knows how long. And then we had an opportunity through a friend um, to to go hunt in Greenland. And uh, it was like, okay, that was a species of caribou that I haven't hunted before. And it's a place that I haven't been. So, but you know, wherever you're caribou hunting, it, there's a lot of things that are the same, a lot of things that translate. Yeah. So, um, you know, with caribou, like I kind of feel like caribou hunting uh, itself is very similar to pronghorn hunting in some ways. Like it's, it's not hmm. real difficult. Uh, but the difference with caribou hunting is like the access issue is extremely difficult because they just yeah. live in places that are hard to get to. At first I was like, okay, Greenland, like it seems like so much more difficult logistically and financially or whatever to pull off than Alaska, but that might not actually be the case. Um, is it like a lot harder than Alaska or is it, what's it like? No, I mean, for a guy to do it DIY, it's a lot more difficult because it's not set up as much, but for like, as far as like cost goes, it's probably actually cheaper um, mm. than going to Alaska because you just like, you can get, you fly to Iceland and then from there you fly over to Greenland. So kind of like Caribou 101 here for people who don't know much about it in terms of their kind of yearly life cycle and as far as how hunting season plays into that and like the time of year, most guys are hunting caribou are they entering rut? Are they pre-rut? Are they, you know? Yeah, I mean, most people probably hunt them during August or September, I would say. Like, that just seems to be standard. They're most of yeah. the time in velvet. They're they're an animal that just moves a lot. Like, they kind of move erratically in some ways or se- seems to be erratic. Uh, but yeah. one thing about caribou you'll find is, like, they pretty much always travel into the wind. So when the wind shifts, mm. that's what determines their direction. And like generally with like, there's no wind, they just sit down and then it gets windy and then they start walking again from my experience. Yeah. And so have you ever done a later like rut hunt for caribou? Yeah, it's fun time to hunt for sure. Any animal during the rut is a lot of fun. Just see that the way that they interact and you don't have to deal with velvet antlers, which is nice. But you also, you know, run into a weather factor. Like I know a lot of guys that have hunted late and been stuck for a really long time or never actually got to go on the hunt. That would be terrible. Um, you know, whether you're hunting caribou in Greenland or or maybe it's not even caribou, but it's just a new area. So something that guys on the East Coast like me deal with a lot is you obviously want to e-scout as much as you can beforehand, but sometimes things change. Sometimes you don't know exactly where you're going to be. Let's say, you know, Remy Warren gets dropped off in a new area you've never been before. You've never e-scouted it. What is kind of going through your head? What's your thought process of how you're going to start to develop a strategy to hunt a new area that's completely new to you? Hunting a new area just depends on the species, right? So I kind of base my play off of like what those animals do. But the general thing that I do is I like to preview where I'm at. So I'm just going to get to some vantages and just overlook the country. You know, I, I like to just like take a day, take two days and just really like figure out the lay of the land really um and, and get an idea of like how things are and then and then i kind of build my plan based off of that um, and i've done that successfully all around the world on like i mean i've done diy hunts in the northern territories for buffalo and like what i did there was the same thing just learn the area 
and then figure out, okay, now here's where these types of things are. Here's what I'm looking for. Maybe in that case, it was water. And then I, I build out my hunt plan that way. It doesn't matter where it's at. Kind of the same thing, like figure out, okay, hey, this is a new spot, never been here before, but I'm really gonna like understand the terrain and the topography and then find out the things that I like for the way that I like to hunt and the way that the animals should be behaving. And then I, I focus in on those areas. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's it's kind of a keep it simple approach, but a lot of guys I feel like that are on a limited time frame in a new area, they kind of like, you kind of freak out. But I like how you said, just kind of, sort of just like take a step back, like mentally prepare yourself that like the first day or two is gonna be basically scouting. And then as you start to see more animals pop out, you start to recognize like, oh, they like this specific elevation or they seem to like this type of terrain or brush or whatever it is. And you start to kind of learn where to look, you know? Oh yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Like if you know where to look, that's the key. And if you use yeah. what you got, uh, that's, you're already ahead. Hey guys, this is Hunter. I wanted to mention something to you real quick. I just recently became an ambassador for Mountain Ops and they have some great products. I've been using their products for years, even before I had a podcast or anything. I always uh, have been using Ignite. I use Slumber on pretty much all my trips. And they have a bunch of other great products from multivitamins to creatine to fish oil. I mean, pretty much anything you need, they got it. Uh, and then some. So go check out Mountain Ops. And if you use the code QUEST, you're going to save 20% and you're going to be supporting the show. So go to Mountain Ops, use that code QUEST, and I really appreciate your support. As I'm getting deeper and deeper into Western hunting and stuff, you know, I'm kind of analyzing the differences in hunting culture from like the Southeast to the out West. And it's interesting. And, um, you know, it's talked about a lot, but um, it can't really be overstated how how big of a deal glassing is um, for Western hunting. And it's, I mean, it's really like, you know, when I grew up bow hunting, I didn't, I don't think I even took binoculars with me, like ever. Like it just wasn't part of my gear. Um, but it's something that is, it's basically the large majority of Western hunting is glassing. Um, it's a little bit more nuanced than just pulling up your binoculars and just looking. I mean, there's so... Um, and I know you've talked about it quite a bit, but and spent a lot of time um, thinking about it. So uh, I'd love to hear just kind of your basic general tips or strategies on glassing a new area. First thing, it seems like a no-brainer, but anytime I go hunting with people that didn't grow up glassing, they just don't have their glass to their head enough. Like you got to look through the things for them to work. Yes. I mean, I'm glassing 90% of the time, it seems like. Like my natural eyes are looking, but... I'm looking like through my binoculars a lot. And then you got to identify like, it takes a long time to really know what you're looking for. There's been a lot of, I mean, I've hunted with hundreds of people and very rarely will somebody spot something before me. And it's because I have a trained <laughs> eye. Like I know where to look and I know what I'm looking for. Like I do what I call, I've kind of like coined this term, but it's like strategic shotgun glassing is the first way that I start looking. So I look in all the places that are most productive for whatever I'm hunting. So if it's mule deer, I'm looking in uh, the mornings. I'm like looking, I like quickly scan the ridges. Then I look at like potential feeding areas. And then as the day progresses, then I'm looking in like good bedding areas. Like mm -hmm. I, I'm looking in the best place at the best time. And then outside of that, then I'm doing like a gridding method where it's like, oh, okay, I haven't found anything, but I'm just sitting down for the day and covering a lot of country back and forth, up and down, left and right. It's just like 
learning to, to develop that eye and then just being patient with it too. I found exactly what you're talking about. This, this season I was in Mexico hunting coos deer and the first two days or something, my hunting partner, Brad, was just, he was spotting everything. And finally, it got to the third day, and I just got fed up. But what it came down to is I just didn't have my face in the glass enough. And like you said, it's just it takes discipline. It's uh, it's not easy because it's just not comfortable to hold that thing to your face for hours and hours all day. But it really is a function of how much time you put in there to what you see. Like as soon as I like mentally decided, okay, like I'm done getting embarrassed, like I'm gonna start spotting deer, I started spotting deer. And the other thing to me, which I found was really important was making sure you have a comfortable glassing setup. So uh, I know different guys do different stuff. I personally like, you know, if I'm glassing for a long time to have like a set of 12s or something on a tripod because you're not holding it, your arms and hands aren't getting tired. And also you can use both eyes. You know, if you're using a spotter, for a long time with one eye, that can get really uncomfortable. So I like binos on a tripod, but what's kind of your go-to setup for, for glassing? I do 90% of the glassing with binoculars. I use a, a spotting scope for more verification purposes. Yeah. Um, I'll put them on a tripod for sure. It just depends on the, the situation. When it's on a tripod, there's less shake, so there's a little less eye fatigue. It depends on your scenario though, because like sometimes you're, you're just checking a lot of different pockets. Other times you're sitting up from a long ways away and glassing at distance. So it just depends on where I'm glassing and what, but yeah, I do a combination of binoculars on a tripod, spotting scope, and then just handheld. Honestly, it doesn't matter what it is. You just got to put it to your face. I see so many people with like good binoculars that just never use them. And so I always say like put money, if you're going to spend money on one particular piece of gear, optics and Optics, boots, and pack are the three things you want to spend money on generally because um, pack and boots are the like uncomfortable touch points and then optics are like pretty much your success maker or breaker. Mm, okay, good advice. I want to uh, go back to the, the Greenland film here. Give me a little bit of background on this, on this specific caribou. Yeah, we'd spotted him from across the way and then uh, Pedro and I decided just, I was like, all right, I'm gonna make a play on this one. It was actually one of the bigger ones we'd seen. What had happened was he was feeding with another smaller bull and then uh -huh. they start like, they fed over the ridge. We, we circled around to get the wind right, dropped our packs and moved in. And I got into a position where he actually crossed and would, it was like a pretty good shot, but I just wasn't, I just wasn't ready. Like it just wasn't right for uh -huh. me. So I waited, I held off. And he went, oh, I was waiting for him to go over the rise and then waiting for the other one to go over and then moved up to get to where they just went over. Mm -hmm. And he had like, it was actually really cliffy there. And he like kind of gone around the cliff where I, I popped over and his vital, his like body was actually obstructed. And then he kind of oh, heard yeah. something. He turned around and, uh, and then uh, spooked off. So we just watched him and then he went across the valley and it was getting near the end of the day. We just said, all right, it's all or nothing. Let's just go over and see what happens. So <laughs> crossed down, came back up. And when I popped back up, the wind, like I mentioned earlier, they do like to walk in the wind. The wind had shifted and he uh -huh. essentially started like walking back up to our direction. He was going the other way and then the wind and the thermal started sweeping down. He just wheeled around, started feeding the other way. So mm. we got into position there behind this big rock. Nah. Nah. 
he he was slightly quartered too, so I put it like um, in a spot on that shoulder there, not on yeah. the shoulder, but um, anticipating it to go, you know, like a good quartered two shot, just slightly quartered two, and uh, let her rip, hit the exact spot that I was aiming at, and he just fell over, double lungs, and fell over within sight. It's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> so it it may not have been quite as a uh, big of a concern on this hunt, maybe, um, but proper meat care is a big deal. You've mentioned it kind of already um, in this conversation, but especially when you're dealing with velvet antlers too, and I feel like a lot of guys don't know anything about that. So, um, and you got to be sometimes in these kind of uh, more northern areas, you got to be a little creative. Um, you know, back when I did a Kodiak hunt a few years ago, we shot a deer on like this first or second full day. Um, and we had to kind of get creative about, um, you know, there wasn't really any wood to build anything. So we ended up using some stones from the like glacial lake we were right by to kind of get that, um, the meat up off the ground and stuff like that. But, um, you know, you, I know you were very intentional about caring for your meat because, uh, you're also a pretty good wild game chef, but generally what are some of your meat care, uh, in the field kind of tips for guys? You know, you got to keep it cool. You got to keep it dry. You got to keep it clean. And by doing those things, it's, it's going to be good. Uh, the first step is just like getting on and, and breaking it down quick, getting that hide off, cooling it down as fast as possible. And then even while you're working, just getting those quarters or whatever off the ground and letting that air circulate around it because the moving air actually cools it down pretty quick. Uh, there's, there's times where, like you said, there's nothing to hang it from. So... Like, I mean, there's been times where I've hiked more miles finding wood to build, uh, to build like a good rack, a good drying rack yeah. than I do hunting the animal. And the same thing, wow. like, you want to have tarps uh, to tarp over it for shade and to just keep it dry and then continually mm -hmm. like move the meat around. So you're just trying to prohibit bacterial growth. And so just like being super clean about when you, you don't, you don't want to get any dirt on it. You want to keep it in game bags. You want to keep the flies and things off of it. Mm -hmm. And you do those things, man, it's going to make a big difference in the end product. Yeah, no, totally. So if you're in an area where there's grizzly bears, are you um, storing your meat in camp with the idea of trying to protect it? Or are you keeping it pretty far from camp? What's your strategy there? Uh, for the most part, it's somewhere that I can hang it and hang it out of reach. And you're like, well, there's places where that's not possible. It's like there is. You just might have to hike further to find it. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's just what you do. Um, so, I mean, I've done that before. I've also had it in camp or, like, near camp. Um, and then if I have a bear fence, I don't really trust the bear fence for it, but I don't know. It, it makes you feel, like, a little bit better, I guess. And then just somewhere that you have, like, good visual of it. Uh, there's times where you, you just want to be, like, make sure that you can approach with a view. And gotcha, you, yeah. you don't have, like, you know, you aren't doing something stupid, like putting it in the middle of an alder patch or something like that. Yeah. For sure. But, and you're, you're essentially going to be treating velvet antlers almost like another piece of meat in terms of their capacity to go bad, right? Early in the season when it's attached real good, you know, you just kind of treat it like the meat, keep it dry, keep mm -hmm. it cool. And then when you get back, you got to take care of it, um, either freeze it or, uh, you know, preserve it. All right. Well, cool, man. Um, do you have any just like, you know, closing thoughts on caribou hunting or, you know, why it's so special or unique or kind of why somebody should go out of their way to, to try to hunt one? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're just 
a, a really cool animal and they're very unique to that northern landscape you know you get to go to some pretty remote places to chase them i think that's just part of the adventure is just uh being in a place where they live is, is really cool uh, the other the other cool thing about them is it, they've got so much antler for their body size it's just cool to see yeah. them running around you like the first one you see you go whoa like things crazy looking because they are they're really they're really almost in some ways kind of prehistoric yeah. And, and it's, it's a cool and unique experience. Uh, I've hunted a lot of different places and different styles for different kinds of caribou. And each one is a little bit unique, but in the end, they're all a lot of fun. Well, cool, man. Well, thanks again for your time. I think it's been great. I think we um, covered some good ground here on caribou hunting. And uh, hopefully, like I said, this will inspire some guys to get out there and give it a shot or start looking to plan something. So thanks again, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on.